0: ever stop and just ask yourself, where are the missing pieces in your life? You know, life is very puzzling. It is filled up with so many kinds of experiences, so many different kinds of challenges, so many different kinds of opportunities, and yet it occurs all within a limited kind of lifespan that we experience. Some of us have many more things of the world than others, but we all have this opportunity to engage in life at this level of experience that allows us to come into contact with and to interact with a God who has created us and given us life. It takes a certain amount of work to get the pieces ordered around and shuffled around until you're ready to put your life together. It takes a, a certain kind of person who will give enough time in their life to think about these things, to think about all the different puzzles that go into making a life, all the different parts of a life, not just physical or vocational, but spiritual as well. And oftentimes in our lives, we find ourselves concentrating sometimes on just finding a a new piece, just finding a missing piece. And sometimes, however, like in the story we read today, We're not even aware that a piece is missing. Why that psalm that was sung is so beautiful? Because we need God in our thoughts and in our prayers. We need God in our hands and in our feet. We need the thoughts of God in our mind as we struggle with how we go about our life and how we live each day. Sometimes I think we get to the point where we just feel like we know what our finished puzzle is going to look like. You know, we've created it in our minds, and perhaps we begin to see the pieces falling together. For parents, this sometimes comes as their children get to a certain age where they find a mate and get married and have children. And finally, the parents are looking at their children going, Yeah, that's what I had in mind. A lot more than what I saw when you were a teenager or when you were this tall running around everywhere, or that day you were screaming at me on the ball field or in the backyard. I had in mind this perfect puzzle of where my children r- grew up and found a mate and, and uh, followed a similar pattern of life that they'd seen their parents live. And you, know, you just know that's what the finished puzzle is about to look like. Sometimes we become convinced that all of the pieces are put in the puzzle. You know, we don't just know what the puzzle looks like, but we're convinced that the puzzle has all of its pieces. And sometimes we're so confident that we put all those pieces together and we believe we have constructed the masterpiece. And then we become ready to get our focus and draw all of those pieces together because then we know that we'll have what we've always sought. And usually just about that time, someone or something enters our world, and all of a sudden it seems like the puzzle is impossible to complete. I think that was kind of the mindset of this young ruler who walked up to Jesus and started up with the butter-em-up kind of speech. We learn early in life how to butter up, don't we? You know, we know how to say to mother just what mother wants to hear. We know how to say to daddy just what daddy wants to hear. We know how to scream it at our brothers and sisters. You know, those sibling type folks that live in our house. We get it all put together. We know how to get what we want. Oh, good teacher. You know, nobody ever spoke to a rabbi like that. Nobody came up to to a rabbi and said, oh, good teacher. And, of course, Jesus corrected him immediately and said, Why do you call me good? No one is really good but the Father. But, you know, he had the butter out. He had his knife out. He was just laying it on thick because he was ready to have his puzzle blessed. He had his spiritual puzzle in hand, and he was going to present it to Jesus so that Jesus could pat him on the head and say, Go, you rich young ruler, and be blessed some more. You are such a good child. So he presented it all to him, he said, Jesus! Master, teacher, what must I do to be saved? I bet the grin on his face was large. I think he was sitting there going, what must I do to be saved? He probably sat on the front seat in the synagogue. You know, he probably knew what he knew what he knew about his spiritual puzzle. And then Jesus said, you know what it is, what you must do. And he quoted four, five, six of the commandments. I forgot, I think he quoted five of them and yep i've done all of those and then jesus said one thing you lack and his puzzle started coming apart he said go and sell everything you have and give it all to the poor and come and follow me and scripture says he He turned and walked away, very sad, because he was a very rich person. He didn't get his pat on the head from Jesus. Instead, he was told he was missing a piece of the puzzle that needed to be added if he was going to complete that puzzle at all. Now, you know, when we start talking about stewardship every year, throughout the year, and we, we put an emphasis upon it. Preachers, as I've told you before, they either get very excited or very worried or very afraid. I have been doing this a long time, and, you know, I'm not really afraid anymore, and I'm not even really all that worried. I, I don't know that I'm all that excited because you're pretty predictable, <laughs> unfortunately. Sometimes I get surprised, and that gets me excited, but for the most part, you know, stewardship campaigns come and they go, and things remain a little bit better, about the same. wonder what's missing in the picture of that puzzle, that we can come together and talk about passages like this. I, I'll just be truthful. This is one of the passages that I don't really like to read in Stewardship. I don't really enjoy it because it's so confronting. You know, it's just, it's just right in our face as Americans. Um, why don't you just turn to the person on your left and say, You're, you're, you're one of the wealthiest persons I know. Just go ahead and turn to him and say that. <laughs> yeah. Now turn around and face the other way and do the same thing. Get the person on your right. Turn around and say, you're one of the wealthiest persons I know. Now, would all the wealthy persons in the congregation please stand up? Yeah. You're how long I'll wait for you all to stand, aren't you? I know some of you can't stand. You can sit down now I don't you've stretched. It's hard to think of ourselves as wealthy because then, if we do, we have to kind of address a passage of scripture like that and say, What is that supposed to mean? What does it mean to be living in the wealthiest nation the world has ever known? What does it mean to be wealthier than most of the other people on the face of the planet? I didn't say your street. I said on the face of the planet. Yeah, because I like to compare myself with my church members who are lawyers or doctors or who own their own businesses or who are much more successful preachers and think about them as being the wealthy ones. I don't like to think about myself myself being wealthy because then it implies that I need to do something about that wealth, that I need to think about who I am in a little bit different light. If I'm really a wealthy person, then I need to be thinking about how that wealth has been used for the kingdom of God lately. I need to think about what that wealth has done to change God's world. I need to think about how much of that wealth is ending up benefiting me instead of what's on the face of your newsletter this morning. Instead of living beyond myself, I tend to concentrate mainly upon myself and living for myself and those closest to me. Closest to me now is defined as my wife and my grandchildren. Once upon a time, it was described as my wife and my children, but, you know, now they're on their own. Hey, you know, hey, it's grandchildren, right? What what are we doing with our life puzzle? Are we kind of smug about it all? Have we kind of arrived as a church, as an individual, as a family, as a nation? Have we kind of arrived as a people of God? And are those very different questions? Well, in this particular question, him saying that, you know, it always bothersome, you know, sell it all? I mean... Why not 50-50? Couldn't you be satisfied with your half? God, about half. I know I've got a lot, so how about half? Nope, nope, nope. Sell it all. Give it all away to the poor. Well, how about instead of the poor, how about so to some of those who are less fixed than me, who might remember me next week when I'm dilapidated because you took all my money, gave it to the less fortunate That would have been a better answer for Jesus. No, no. He says, sell it all. Give it all away and come and follow me. And we go, why does he say that? What can he possibly mean? Does Jesus know how hungry I get on Wednesday if I give it all away on Monday? Does Jesus know that I have to have food? What is he trying to say to this poor rich folks? Did he just ask a bad question? No, not really. Look closely at what he says. Having looked at this passage many times before and preached on it many ways, I came across something new from somebody else. I forgot who I was stealing this from, but it's okay. I'm comfortable with it. Because <laughs> uh, after all, if it was a good thought, it wasn't his. It was God's, and God gave it to him, so I'm going to use it now. Look what he said to him. He said, quote of those five commandments. But look at what he, Jesus doesn't say to him. You kept all those commandments, but he didn't say, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. He didn't say, you shall not make for yourself an idol. He didn't say that either. That's about your relationship to God. Both of those are. Third commandment. He didn't say that you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. He didn't mention that one either. And fourthly, he didn't even say remember the Sabbath, did he? He just addressed commandments that had to do with the way this young man was relating to other people in his world in a... a, not stealing, not committing adultery. In other words, he's been a pretty good American Christian right about there. You see, it's the first, first four commandments that are all about relationship. They are all about relationship, and that relationship is vertical. It's about our relationship to the Heavenly Father, and God starts with them for a very good reason, because they are the most important. I just really believe that the reason Jesus looked at that young man and said, sell it all and give it all away is because when he looked in that man's heart, he knew that in that young man's heart, that young ruler's heart, God was not number one, that he was worshiping his wealth. He loved being wealthy. He loved the things that wealth provided him, and even though he loved God too, sort of, he didn't love God up here and his stuff down here. He loved his stuff up here and God down here. Or else, why didn't he quote the other commandments? Why didn't he mention the first four? Why did he turn around and say, go and sell all you have and give it to the poor? He didn't tell everybody that. It's not like God is always against wealth, but he was able to look in this man's heart and determine that this young man didn't have his priorities correct. He was missing the heart of the puzzle, if you will. He had never really given to God first place in his life, he had relegated God to the leftovers. Whatever's left over in my time, I'll volunteer to the church. Whatever's left over to my money, I'll give it to the church or to a needy organization. Whatever's left over to my love, I'll share it with the next door neighbor or maybe even that cousin I don't really like. You know, the leftovers, we live a lot by the leftovers, don't we? We don't always put God first, and then live afterward. We give, give what puny amount of time we'll have. I had a dream kind of last night. It's a weird dream. I don't really dream in color or for church usually. I just kind of dream and wake up, and then found out I've forgotten it. But last night I kind of had a dream. G, uh, Steve will probably get excited about this. And you know what I dreamed? Maybe this was a panic moment. I don't know. I dreamed I came to church for the program tonight. Don't ask me why I'm dreaming about that. You know how much I've had to do with that program? Steve has done all that work. Steve and the janitorial staff is setting everything up, and the other part of the staff has done all the advertising and the marketing. I just know it's happening and know we've made place for it, and I'll be here. Uh, But in that dream, I woke up, and we were meeting in one of the classrooms. We were meeting in the Fellowship Hall. And I'm thinking, weren't we supposed to be in the sanctuary? We invited the world to this event. And then I realized that they were meeting in another classroom, too. I'm like, wow, but isn't this enough for us to gather in the sanctuary, you know, the pretty place? And then I came into the pretty place, and it was packed out. Wow. Now, I don't know if I'm afraid there's going to be 30 here to hear this U.S. attorney, or if I'm afraid there'll be 700 and we won't have anywhere to seat them. I just know what I dreamed, and I'm just sharing it with you. I, I, I know you're busy. I don't know how much of your time is left over. This Sunday evening, I'm sure there's something more enjoyable to do than come up here and hear a talk that's going to make you feel really uneasy about a thing that we all use in many different ways in our lives. But I think it's something we need to hear. It's just a little short side. That really wasn't the sermon. I just thought I'd say it. Although the stewardship of what we do with our time might have something to do in some kind of direct proportion to the evil that is allowed to go on in our world because we don't have enough time to stop it or even check it. Do you know what your children are looking at on their computers? I'm assuming that you're checking the hard drives. You're not just believing them. Children have a hard time with one of the commandments and it's not the one you might think. I know your children never lie to you, but you'd be surprised what your neighbor's children lie to their parents about. <laughs> right? It's hard to always tell the truth, I know. Especially if that truth is not something you want anyone else to know. That rich young ruler didn't want Jesus to look into his heart and know that he loved money more than God. Because if you'd have asked him the question, he would have said, oh, I'm devout. I love God. Just not enough to part with my wealth. And you say, yeah, but I'm not wealthy. We all are wealthy on some level, especially in this country. We all are wealthy in time. We get to live longer than most other people of the world. We have the opportunity to invest more. We have more free time uh, than we know what to do with, right? I was in school in 19, I shouldn't go that far back, should I? 1970s, I remember sitting in a college class, they were talking about business professionals and how much spare time people were going to have in the coming years because of all the automation. Do you feel like a person that's got a lot of free time? You know, we all feel like we just don't have enough time to say boo, right? But how much of that time have you made the decision about how you're using it? How many actual hours do you spend working on your job? And how do you decide when enough work is enough and we should back away from it? We don't need more money. What we need is more time with God, more time with helping others. How do you do that? Stewardship of our life is so important. I know when that young man walked away, he was overwhelmed. I'm sure he was overcome, not by God's presence, but by a sense of guilt and a sense of dread that he wasn't willing to part with his wealth in order to have God. I always am bothered by the fact that Jesus didn't run after him, aren't you? I kind of want Jesus to go, oh, come on. I was just kind of kidding. I just want you to think about it. I didn't really mean for you to do anything about it. But, but you know, Jesus didn't, did he? He just let him walk away, and that causes me to have nightmares because sometimes Jesus just leaves us to our own bad decisions, still hoping we'll make a different one. How can anyone be saved, the disciples ask. And Jesus says, you know, with people, some things aren't possible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, know that right after that, you know what happens next, don't you? We didn't read the Scripture this morning, but I'm sure you all know the story, being the Bible scholars, that you are. You know, paranoid Peter, he turns to Jesus and says, what about us? I mean... We gave it all up just to follow you around. We've been eating poorly and everything else for two and a half years. And what does Jesus say? Nope, you got to give it all up too? Mm-mm. No, Jesus said, You're going to get many more times back than you ever gave, both on this earth and in heaven. Now, I know what that sounds like. That sounds almost like prosperity theology. So if you have a problem with that, you probably have a problem with that scripture. A lot of Methodists never preach that scripture. I, I'm thinking that might be why it's not included. It is a little troubling. It seems to sound like God is going to bless us on this earth, and we don't, we're don't. we a little frightened about those kind of preachers that promise us things on earth. But it didn't say exactly what all kinds of blessings we were against, but I believe monetary is at the heart of it. I do believe it. Now, I'll make you more nervous. I believe God does bless those who are giving themselves to God. I, I kind of do. But I don't believe you can bank on it. I don't believe you can bribe God with it. But I do believe God God blesses you when you're faithful to God. I believe God blesses your earthly life in many kinds of ways, monetarily, spiritually, joyfully, peacefully. I believe all that kind of stuff just comes and floods when we get right with God. I just don't believe you can demand it of God by doing something good and expecting God to turn around and have to give you something good back. But in this part, he Seems to go out of his way to make it clear. Yeah, you're going to give up things to God on this earth. But the things we give up for God on this earth are replenished in so many other ways. You say, well, I'm still waiting for my ship to come in. Well, you know what? You may just be going to sell a plastic boat around in the bathtub. It may not be a ship that's coming your way. It may just be something a little better. And, And I wonder, too, while I'm on the stewardship topic, I wonder what you'd do if a lot of money suddenly came your way. You know, In fact, I've been thinking about this lately. I just kind of feel like some people in this congregation are going to be blessed in ways to help this congregation get through the things we need to do in the next few years, the next four to five years. And I'm wondering, when God blesses the members of this church family with those things, are we going to know what to do with them, or are we going to assume that it's for us to have bigger boats, or bigger cars, or bigger retirement account. I wonder if you're one of those people and get that blessing, if you're going to be able to use it for the reason God really blessed you with it in the first place, or if it's just going to be yours. When I think about stewardship, I think about things like that. Oh, the tithe is nice. The tithes can be dealt with straightforwardly. Then you can mark off 10% and feel free to spend the rest of the 90% on yourself, right? Till's trying to figure out how you can take a five-pound bag of rice and hand it to people who don't have enough to eat. Everybody in the church of five churches. I wonder what it would cost you to buy a five-pound bag of rice. It wouldn't mean much to you, but it would mean the world to a family that's barely getting by because it would symbolize that others love them and others care about them. I'm always hoping that if God's going to send a big ship, he sends it to me because I'd be so good with it. (laughs) I could use it in so many ways to do neat stuff. Yeah retirement account, you know, house paid for, maybe notes paid for at the church, or five that I've known who are bothered by debt. What if God just unloaded a boat full on you? What would you do with it? How much of it would God get? Totally unexpected, out of the clear blue. You do a seven-figure job and you're not even thinking, it's not even part of your budget, but all of a sudden, a million dollars falls in your lap. Quick, do the math. Let's see, 38% for the government leaves me with 62%. 10% to the church leaves me with 52% to do what I want. Okay, I got to pay off some debt. 42% to do with what I want. Wow. What is that 42% for that you didn't really need to eat and to be clothed. I don't know, just maybe it's just me. What does it say on the table? <laughs> in remembrance of me. Let us have this mind in ourselves that Christ Jesus had in himself. I don't know if this young man was going to be disappointed if he was going to give up or if he was going to go home and pray about it and decide to give his money away and kind of look up Jesus. If he did look up Jesus, it would have made a great story to have put in the book, wouldn't it? Unfortunately, it's not in here, is it? We don't know what happened. And maybe that's the point of the text. Maybe all we need to do is say, what would happen in our lives when Jesus looks into our heart and sees what we really love, what we really have a passion for. Going beyond ourselves is important, but it's not easy. Don't, don't, I I don't, I don't, never preach about stewardship as if it's easy, because it's very difficult. It is not easy to take extra stuff in your life and give it away rather than save it in case you need it for a rainy day or rather than enjoy something else you've been wanting in your own life. It's not easy. It's even hard to think about having children when you're young, right? Fortunately, they rarely think about it very long. They don't know how much a child costs you to have. Do you know how much it costs to have a child? I need to go over here and talk about that. (laughs) Whenever y'all get married, you have any idea how much it's going to cost to raise those children? It's going to cost a lot. So if you're thinking about having children and you're married and you really want children, just don't think about the money because, quite frankly, it just throws, it makes it a whole bummer of a deal. They're, they're expensive little rascals. You know, just to keep the little bottom ends dry costs a small fortune. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason you got potty trained so early. It helps. And then they get older and people think, oh, I'm so glad we're not paying daycare anymore. Man, that was a drag. And then the other expenses start coming. (laughs) Wow. It's a good thing we don't know all that, right? (laughs) I should be giving a lesson on how to spend your money wisely. But you know, there's a lot of books that do that. And never mention the name of Jesus. I'm wondering if he was overwhelmed by the missing peace in his puzzle I hope that he went home and made significant changes in his life I hope he didn't go home and just was so overwhelmed by his failure that he gave up on the idea of ever being saved because that's not what Jesus intended because what Jesus told those disciples was simply this with men it's impossible but with God all things are possible God can save the heart of a wealthy man, and God can save the heart of a poor man, and God loves them both, and God wants to be loved first by all people. Leftovers are okay to eat on Sunday night, but God is not okay with being the leftovers of our life. I don't know what that means for you. But I'm praying that you'll go home and think about it because I believe the stewardship that we exercise as a church in the next five years is going to make the difference in the life of this church. I really believe that. I'm really pretty much convinced by it. I'm so convinced about it, I did something I've never done in my life. I've been doing this since 1978. Started out when I was seven, for those of you who are counting my age. I've never in all that time called the bishop and said, I want an appointment to come in and talk to you about something until now. I'm going in to the bishop to talk about this congregation, to talk about our situation and what we need, what we have the opportunity to do and how unique this church is and how the conference should support it in certain specific ways. I am walking way out on the limb with my district superintendent and my bishop Ah, oh, well, I'm close to retirement anyway, right? I believe what we do with our time and our talents and our money make all the difference in the history of this church in the next 50 years and the next five. I can give you a lot of reasons why I picked five. I could say three to five, but I really, really believe it's at least five that's going to take for this ship to be strong and forging straight ahead, healthy spiritually, financially, and in a sense of being a part of the ministry of God in this community. That's what I believe. I could be wrong. I was wrong once back in about 53. <laughs> I was only two then. <laughs> I know there could be revival anytime and anywhere, but we are at that point where a critical mass is to start slipping away from us. I know you're spiritual people. I just don't know if you're that spiritual or not. Because what I'm going to be asking from you is a huge issue of stewardship. I'm going to be asking you, not just for your time or your money, but to think about how you steward your talents in ministry in different ways. I'm going to ask you to do more, not less. I'm going to ask you to make real choices that can make the difference. I believe in this church's life, but then I'm like Jesus. I'm just going to watch you after that because I can't make you do it. I know some of you are probably thinking we could call the bishop before that guy gets there and tell him to tell this guy he's crazy. You know he's out of his head, but I don't think I am. And even if you call the bishop, I'm still going because I believe really believe that there's things in our future that we have not yet thought of or dreamed of. And I believe they're real. Because with God, all things are possible.